The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome veterans and members of our military who are listening to the program over the Internet today. Thank you for being with us again. My guest during this hour is former California Congresswoman Mary Bono. She'll be joining us in just a moment to talk about how her advocacy work continues after leaving public office. But before she joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little bit about Miss Bono's background. Mary Bono was born Mary Whitaker in Cleveland, Ohio. When she was still a youngster, the family moved to Pasadena, California, where she later earned her undergraduate degree in art history from the University of Southern California. In 1986, she married legendary singer Sonny Bono, then moved to Palm Springs, where Sonny Bono served as mayor. In 1994, he was elected to Congress, and Bono tragically passed away in a skiing accident while still in office. And having been a true partner in all things, Mary Bono stepped in to continue his work. She ran and won the congressional seat in a special election, was subsequently elected for a full term, and then re-elected until 2012 when she was defeated by Democrat Raul Ruiz. During her time on the Hill, Bono served on the Energy and Commerce Committee, the House Armed Services Committee, the Judiciary Committee, the Small Business Committee, and the Congressional Caucus on Prescription Drug Abuse. She is the recipient of numerous awards from organizations ranging from Americans for Tax Reform and the National Federation of Independent Businesses to the National Association of Manufacturers. She's also been called one of the most fascinating women by the Ladies Home Journal and the seventh hottest politician in the world by Maxim. In 2007, Bono married Congressman Connie Mack from, Ca- from Florida, and recently the couple announced a mutual decision to end that marriage. Today, Bono is a senior vice president with Fagra, Baker, and Daniels Consulting, where she advises clients on public policy issues related to intellectual property rights, energy, health, and telecommunications. Most recently, she was named co-chair of the 21st Century Privacy Coalition, a group focused on data security and privacy on the Internet. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program a relentless advocate, both on and off the Hill, Miss Mary Bono. Thank you for joining us, Miss Bono. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, this has been quite a week for the gay community, and in many ways, a validation of your voting record in the House, where you differed with your party's position on the federal marriage amendment, not once, but twice. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, I did, and I believe I was right. And uh, you know, you're right. It is a, a big week for uh, for folks who care about this issue, and a lot of people care very deeply and personally. So, yeah, it was one of the examples, I guess, where I, I differed from my party. And uh, yeah, 
And this is vindication of, of the position that you you took, that this was an unconstitutional issue. How do you feel about this decision, and uh, what, can you, what can we expect now that this ruling has come down? Well, for, I feel very good about it, and what I'm most excited about is hopefully we can get this sort of limbo uh, out of the equation for so many people who, uh, you know, want to know what their future holds and wants, want to know what their rights are. And uh, it just gives them some certainty. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. And, uh, you know, I, I, as far as what it holds, you know, again, people are going to start getting married again. And uh, it, it's going to be a very good thing. And, look, I live in a community where, you know, so many of my neighbors are, are gay married couples and they're, uh, quite happy, and they've, you know, many of them have been together 30, 40 years and, and got married during that brief window of opportunity in California uh, or, you know, got married in another state. But this hopefully will give a lot of people a lot of certainty and sort of take some of the, the pain and frustration uh, out of their lives that I, I think they deserve. Well, anything that takes a little pain and frustration out of our lives can't be a bad thing. Now, if I have this right, you were also in favor of repealing the military's Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, which banned openly gay service members. How how do you feel about that? Well, you know, it's interesting because when I was a member of Congress and out on the, you know, out on the stump and talking to people, even in traditionally conservative uh, audiences. I would just raise how I felt about it. You know, I, I did not serve in the military, but I tried to understand and put myself in the position of, of recognizing if you can, in the military, people share all sorts of secrets and talk, you know, frankly and from the heart with one another. But there was just one secret they had to keep. And that was probably the most important secret that every every heart has, and that is who do you love and what, you know, uh, so I didn't understand it. And that, the way I explained it to even conservative audiences, they came around and, and uh, you know, supported my, my decision. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting, though, there were two votes on repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and there was one that I voted against it, and the gay community actually gave me a hard time at some point uh, because of that vote. But unfortunately, it was a political vote, and we're right in the middle of polling the military to ask them how they felt. You know, the people who were, actually, were serving in the military, how would they feel about repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Yes. And I thought it was very important that they be, be a part of the process, and that to cut that short just because of a political timeline was a mistake. And uh, very frustrated, because Speaker Pelosi at the time uh, decided to make the vote happen and, and uh, you know, say to the, the, the folks doing the poll and taking the poll that, that their opinion didn't matter. And that frustrated me. And I think that would have been a recipe for disaster. So I'm glad that the poll was completed and done. And we had a second vote where I cast my vote to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Uh, right, and but I, you did that based on the military survey. Yes. Mm-hmm. I knew the military survey, I was sure, was going to come back the way it did. Uh, you know, I served on the Energy and Commerce Committee for thir- uh, for about 12 years. But mm-hmm. before that, I served on the Armed Services Committee, and I made it a point to get out to some bases and to talk to, to folks uh, in the military and get their opinion and, and hear what they were thinking. And it was clear that there was a shift in thinking that was occurring. And I was very confident that the poll would come back the way it did. Uh, and, you know, and, and again, I think it's, it's a huge victory. I think it's a huge victory in a lot of fronts. Now, I would imagine that it wasn't easy to split with your party on the issue of gay rights or even for any issue, particularly when uh, the Congressional Quarterly reports that in, most of the time you were in step with your party. So how hard was it then to cross the aisle? And have you seen any changes recently? 
Well, first of all, I don't see any changes. Congress is as dysfunctional and polarized as ever, if not worse. Uh, the two-year election cycle and with the control of the House so narrowly divided and really every you know every two years right now there's a real battle going on so there's really not a whole lot of collegiality and and working across the aisle i mean there are a lot of examples where it does happen but on major pieces of legislation and major issues unfortunately there's not a whole lot of cooperation and collaboration but for me those issues were easy uh you know i always said that when you go to congress or i guess when you're elected anywhere you know, there are issues that you do, and then there are issues that you are. Uh, I grew up in a family that, that uh, was very open-minded and, and tolerant. And then I had uh, family members who uh, this was very important to them, these votes. So it was never a matter for me of being difficult. And clearly, my leadership knew where I would be on these issues and others where I uh, diverged from them. Uh, they knew it. <laughs> they knew where I would be. Uh, and, and were and, they, they respectful of those differences? Did you feel, or did you, did you come under enormous pressure to not vote the way that your conscience was telling you to vote? Oh, I felt from leadership and from my colleagues, I felt tremendous respect and understanding for my positions always. Uh, leadership was careful. They again, they knew who I was. They knew what I stood for. They knew when I was going to, you know, be a problem child for them. But there was never some sort of, you know, pressure put on me by my leadership, uh, you know, to change my position. You know, on the other hand, my constituents at times could be, you know, could be rather <laughs> vocal. And they, they could they could beat me up a little bit here on there on, on things that they didn't necessarily like. And you know, I was a member of Congress before Facebook and Twitter, and uh, and uh, you bet things have changed with instant feedback. You can get now. Now, as a member of Congress and, and the advocacy work, uh, really, you know, it, it, it's a whole new it's a whole new game. It's a whole it new is. It is definitely a whole new ball game. And on that note, we have to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about another issue, which Bono has been ahead of her time on our right to privacy. You're listening to the Costa Report. This Legal Minute is brought to you by Nolan, Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Experienced attorneys providing professional legal services to the Central Coast for 85 years. Hello, this is attorney Stephen Wagner with your Legal Minute. Have you ever said to yourself, there ought to be a law for that? Well, often there is. In today's segment, I will address the issue of distracted driving, and here's my opening salvo. Smartphones make dumb drivers. Of course, I'm talking about all those other drivers. The laws vary from state to state, but there is one common thread. These laws were legislatively put on the books because of the outcry of concern over drivers who are texting, talking, emailing, and tweeting. Distracted driving is nothing new. We used to look at the cows and pastures. Now we take photos with our smartphones. In California, there are over 20 million licensed drivers. 20 million. Here's a scary thought. Just think about how many of those 20 million own and use cell or smartphones. I can't possibly cover all the laws in all the states, but I can say that the trend is to prohibit or sharply curtail some uses of smartphones while driving. Whether this leads to a new species of liability remains to be seen, but one thing is clear. With each new feature and amazing breakthrough in technology comes a new and tempting distraction. 
As new laws go into effect, it will be interesting to see how this impacts the law of negligence. I predict that these new laws will expand the application of important negligence concepts such as duty, breach, and causation, thereby creating more liability theories. While we marvel at the great advances in technology and the cool things that our smartphones can do, they just keep on getting smarter. But do we? This is Stephen Wagner, and that's your Legal Minute. Brought to you by Nolan, Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Selected in 2013 as one of the top law firms in the United States by Martindale Hubble. Severino's Bar and Grill in Aptos is always busting with excitement. You'll get a family atmosphere, casual dining in or outdoor on the patio next to the koi pond and waterfall. Tasty salads, appetizers, and affordable entrees. Happy hour every day from 3 to 6. If it's live music you enjoy, they have it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Sports? Watch the games on the five flat screens. Severino's Bar and Grill is a great place to meet friends and family. Severino's Bar and Grill, inside the Sea Cliff Inn on Highway 1 in Aptos. Sea Cliff Inn. Hi folks, Warren Knox here of Knox Roofing and the Knox Garden Box Company. You know, I'm trying to do my best to put on as many great roofing projects in Monterey and Santa Cruz counties as I can before I die. I still have a long way to go before that happens, dying that is. But putting people to work is a great passion of mine. Good, well-trained, professional people to work for you. So I truly thank all of you out there who have supported Knox Roofing over the many years. So on June 29th at our Scotts Valley location, come by for our annual Customer Appreciation Gala. Believe me, you won't want to miss this one. Our It's All About Wood gift store has things in it quite unique this year. Okay, June 29th, come on by 46L Pueblo Road in Scotts Valley. In the meantime, anyone out there needing any roof work this year, it's simple. Call Knox Roofing at 461-0634 anytime. Thanks, folks. This Sunday on Eat, Drink, Explore Radio, we welcome honeybee expert Tom Theobald to the show for his take on colony collapse, GMOs, and ag chemicals. Also, it's our monthly visit with Washington Post travel expert Andrea Sachs with the best deals of the week. Get the latest food, beverage, and travel news Sunday mornings 8 to 10 live. Right here, of course, on KSCO AM 1080. Eat, Drink, Explore Radio, your lifestyle information source. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Congresswoman Miss Mary Bono. And before the break, you were making the point that while you were serving in Congress, social media was not as ubiquitous as it is today. So it wasn't quite so easy to communicate with your constituents as it is uh, today. And, and speaking of social media and the Internet, uh, gay rights was not the only issue that you demonstrated prescience on um, uh, I would imagine that recent re- revelations regarding uh, telephone surveillance has been uh, another area where you feel that your early concerns have been vindicated. Well, you know, actually, Rebecca, it's a little bit different. I um, I focus solely in the uh, commercial sector, mm-hmm. uh, e- e-commerce, really. I think that it's important to separate out uh, you know, the national and government surveillance from the privacy work that I was doing, which was really more about tracking, uh, you know, cookies. It was basically our daily surfing habits and who's collecting what on us and what they're doing with it. Uh, so I focused mostly, I mean, pretty much exclusively on that. If you want to talk about the government surveillance programs, it's important to remember to, you know, I, I was a supporter of the Patriot Act. 
I actually do believe in strong protections and that we have to do what we can to fight the war on terror. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I believe that Congress has to make sure that we have proper oversight at all times of these programs. But the privacy work I did was really uh, back to e-commerce. Well, we've been focused on government surveillance, but we kind of have the equivalent going on in terms of commercial surveillance on the Internet, don't we? Because as an example, if I go shopping for a new bed, suddenly a bunch of bed ads start popping up every time I log on to the Internet because, in effect, companies are spying on what I do on the Internet and they're collecting information about me. And that's kind of a form of consumer surveillance, isn't it? Exactly. That, and that's really the point is not only that, what are they collecting on us? What are they collecting on our children? Uh, what are they hanging on to? And what are they doing with that data? I've said that our, our personal data uh, really is sort of the gold rush, you know, of the, of the 1848, you know, 1848, 18, the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was gold back then, but now it's our data that people are making a mad dash for and trying to cash in off of all of the data that we as consumers and as, you know, users of the Internet that we give up pretty freely, uh, pretty easily, and pretty robustly. Uh, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. I, I kind of feel that there's nothing that I say or write that isn't being scrutinized and monetized and resold and repackaged. And uh, But the, the question is, is, what policies do we allow in that area? How can we uh, put, uh, you know, a thoughtful uh, tone to this where we allow e-commerce to flourish but we also protect our own privacy. It's it's interesting that we are so fickle. We're we're all nervous about the government, uh, you know, and their surveillance activity with uh, phone numbers and the amount of time that we spend uh, speaking to certain areas of uh, in the world. Um, but when it comes to consumer surveillance, uh, we don't get as nervous about that. And I think you make a good point. We should be very nervous about that. Right. Uh, we should, and especially to teach our children uh, to be very careful. And, you know, our teenage children who really believe that they could put something out there, say, on their Facebook or wherever, uh, and that only their friends will see it, some of these antics and tactics. And it's almost sort of like a, a course in, in privacy ought to be taught to all of us uh, to understand uh, what we're up against. That's exactly right. Uh, I recently had an opportunity to speak to uh, one of the executives at the uh, National Retail Federation, and he was saying that uh, by 2016, uh, that the chief marketing officer will have twice the technology budget as the uh, chief inf- information officer. And uh, and I thought, wow, what's that going to do for privacy? Because what that marketing person is using that technology for is to garner information so that they can target products better. Well, you know, in, the answers to this aren't clear either. Uh, I'm a believer, look, consumers, we are giving up more and more of our privacy in order to gain convenience. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll gladly let people know where we are if in an app on our phone if, as long as it can, gives us some conveniences. So we give these things up and we make the choice on what we're willing to, you know, to give up and what we're, uh, when we're not or we think we're making that choice. But, you know, the answer really is in the consumer that if more people start rejecting a violation of their privacy, uh, some of the business models might change. But right now it's really a – it's – you know, increasingly, it's 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 exponential. I think how quickly we're giving up more and more and more of our data for simple conveniences. I think you're absolutely um, right. 
You're absolutely right. Yeah, the the technology actually is moving more toward being intrusive. We now have smartphones that are looking back at your eyes so that when your eyes leave the screen, uh, the, the smartphone turns off. But it's only a matter of time before there'll be facial recognition information even uh, being collected by marketeers. It, it's, quite, uh, it's quite daunting when you start to look at where technology is headed. You know, it is. And at the end of the day, you always, we have to ask the question of what harm has been done or is being done. And I think that's the big unknown, even for policymakers, is it, we know this is all pretty scary stuff, uh, but we don't know what's going to happen eventually when something happens. Is this going to be a big flood of problems for everybody or something just going to start trickling out or, or what's going to happen? But just earlier today, I took a taxi cab from, you know, one area of Washington, D.C. to the other. And, of course, it was an app that I just hit, you know, find me now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, using the G- G- and you don't know who you're broadcasting, where you're located. Right. Right. Well, we had a situation out here where a young uh, girl was abducted and murdered on her way to school because she was tweeting uh, or using social media of some type to uh, talk about, well, I have to walk to this, the, where the school bus picks me up and it's this you know, long road and there's never anybody on it. And it's kind of scary. And she basically was broadcasting to the abductor uh, that she was alone. And, uh, you know, had no idea she was doing that because she didn't know who her friends were and who what people were looking in on her social media site. Right. And that's yeah. a frightening thought. And I don't think that just even occurs to people. Now, I mentioned in the opening that you were named co-chair of the 21st Century Privacy Coalition just this past week. So tell us a little bit about what that coalition is and who's involved in it. Well, there are a whole bunch of companies that are involved in this coalition, and I'm co-chairing it with the former chairman of the Federal Trade Commission, uh, John Leibowitz. You know, I, as a Republican, John is a Democrat, but we always got along very well together. Uh, he would come before my subcommittee as I was, when I was chairing it and testify before us, and we worked together very well, and I'm very excited to be working uh, with him uh, on this coalition going forward. But uh, what the issue really is, is I was always sort of consumer-focused on protecting consumers uh, and how their data is shared, how it's collected. But the last thing a consumer needs to know is some data is, is regulated differently by the Federal Trade Commission, and some is you know, regulated by the FCC, not the FTC, but the FCC. So consumers shouldn't have to worry about who's protecting their data. There should really be a one-stop shop for somebody, a strong consumer protection-minded uh, agency to be uh, giving them the protections that they want with their data. So that is what this is about. It's uh, also making sure that we can uh, make sure that uh, there's innovation in the space. Again, just sort of like I said earlier with, with gay marriage, sometimes people just need certainty as to what the rules are. They yes. would rather have tough rules as long as they understand the rules. As long as they're clear uh, and everyone knows what protections are afforded and what are not and who is responsible for oversight. I agree with exactly. you. Uh, there's a lot of confusion out there about this, and certainly our laws have fallen a little bit behind. Now we have to take another break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about privacy and government overreach with Mary Bono. You're listening to the Costa Report. If
If you're anything like me, you're scratching your head and wondering what in the world is going on. We have plenty of technology and more resources and knowledge than at any other time in human history. But we just don't seem to be able to solve our problems anymore. They just get bigger and bigger. What's worse is we know what's going to happen if we continue down this path. And it isn't pretty. So that's why I'm asking you, nope. I'm pleading with you to take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle, because when you do, you'll be able to spot the five impediments which stand in the way of solving our greatest threats. You'll also discover what you can do about them. Go to RebeccaCosta.com or your favorite bookstore and grab a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Don't wait. If you care one iota about what's happening to the life you love, you owe it to yourself to read The Watchman's Rattle. It may have taken seven years to write, but you can order it in under a minute. Prop's Restaurant and Flight Lion Lounge. They were new a year ago. They're still new, but they're better than ever. The menu's been expanded. They still have a great full bar. They're offering specials now five nights a week instead of just one. And also watch the planes come in for landings and takeoffs and enjoy a great salad, appetizer, drink, and a full menu of 10 specialty sandwiches, about a dozen specialty burgers, wonderful specials. Let me give you an example. Their Wednesday night prime rib special, a great 14-ounce cut of prime rib with a baked potato and green beans is only $16. Try beating that. Monday night specials, barbecue ribs. Thursday is surf and turf, prawns and steak, only $16. Props Restaurant and Flight Line Lounge. Open every single day for lunch and dinner. Take the airport boulevard exit off of Highway 1, half a mile down the road to Aviation Way to your left, and there you are at Props Restaurant and Flight Line Lounge. Go, eat, drink, and enjoy. Go on Facebook, look at Props, and make your entry for their new slogan. You might win the first sweatshirt that comes off the line with your slogan on it. It's called Business Elite, and there's only one place you can find it on the Central Coast. Hello, I am Melvin Cooper. Business Elite here at Chevrolet of Watsonville means we do everything we need to do to get your business on the road and keep it on the road. And I am Monty Medeiros, manager of Business Elite Commercial Truck Department. With over 20 years of helping Central Coast businesses get the right truck for the right job, I am truly proud of Chevrolet of Watsonville's ability to keep your business rolling. Listen. Hi, this is Rory Odegaard from Watsonville. We recently purchased a 2012 Traverse from Chevrolet of Watsonville. Just want to say we were treated very well by Monty and the rest down there. Very happy with the process. There was no pressure. They had a nice selection. We drove off 24 hours later in our new vehicle. Get your business on the road with the help of the Business Elite Commercial Truck Department here at Chevrolet of Watsonville. And keep your business on the road with special discount pricing on commercial trucks and maintenance. For details, call or click ChevroletofWatsonville.com. We appreciate you giving us an opportunity to earn your business. Hey mom, why is the sky blue? Why don't animals talk? Why do dogs have wet noses? Why is an 11 pronounced 21? Kids ask a lot of questions. Why do I have a belly button? But you don't have to know every answer. Why is the ocean salty? Because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Why are there 50 states? There are thousands of children in foster care who don't need every question answered. Why is pizza round? They just need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Dave Allen here. Remember this, Sunday is 4 p.m. for an array of different world-acclaimed, eclectic, esoteric conversation and guests. Every Sunday at 4 p.m. right here on AM KSU and realize why I'm not going nowhere. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Miss Mary Bono. And before the break, we were talking about the new 21st Privacy Coalition, uh, 21st Century Privacy Coalition, and the need to make the levels of privacy that consumers have a right to expect clear and understandable to the general public. And and though your focus has been on consumer privacy, uh, in addition to the problem with government surveillance, uh, we were also introduced to the reality that the IRS was targeting specific individuals. Um, and and so I, I I wanted to ask you, having worked in Washington for quite a while, while and learning all the ins and outs. Did that revelation come as a surprise to you? Sadly, not really, but it is outrageous and it is scary. It is shocking. Uh, The fact that political arms can uh, use an agency to target folks is just the worst thing. And to tell you the truth, it should really give a lot of fire to the conservatives viewpoint on, on, uh, you know, big government and big government overreach. So, uh, you know, I'm not in Congress anymore, as we keep saying, but had I, if I were still there, I would be hitting this one hard because it is uh, outrageous. Uh, you know, but early on, it's very funny when my late husband, Sonny, announced he was going to run for Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, we got a notice from the IRS that we were being uh, you know, audited across all platforms. Personally, you know, our businesses were going to be audited and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the minute we asked for a shift in jurisdiction to an area outside of where we lived, uh, the IRS dropped the audit. But there was something behind it politi- that was politically motivated. I didn't think it at the time, but, you know, this many years later, 18 years later. Don't you want to go back? Don't, don't you want to hire, like, detectives and go back and say, you know, the timing of this, of this audit, just seems odd. Yeah. Well, you know, it, since it went away, we we had other things that we were <laughs> focused on and, and, and worried about. And I think had we had to go through it, uh, I would have been a whole lot angrier. Uh, you know, but since we since they did drop it and move on, um, it it seemed that they were on a fishing expedition that somebody pulled pulled up on pulled up on the stick and took it away. Uh, but had it gone on, you're, yeah, yeah, I think I'd be very angry and and. Uh, you know, it really would be interesting to pull the American public, just in general, and say how many people uh, have um, coincidences in time like this. You know, where you made a contribution or uh, you ran for office or something like that happened and suddenly you found yourself audited or defending a, a tax case. It would be very interesting, wouldn't it? It would be. Yeah. Suddenly you find yourself harassed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and to any of your listeners, you know, if they ever feel that way. You know, they should pick up the phone and, and call their member of Congress and or and ask for staff and tell the story and, and ask them to look into it. Ask ask why, you know, why is this happening, that there's a reason and it's sort of suspicious. I think if members of Congress even hear these stories, they'll start paying attention to it and put some pressure, uh, uh, you know, on the governmental agencies that are doing it. And, you know, people should never, ever hesitate to pick up the phone and call their member of Congress when, when they're upset about something. 
Well, I think that if you were their member of Congress, uh, they would be happy to do that. I'm not sure every, every congressman is uh, is uh, so excited to hear from their constituents, although I'd like to think so. I, I'm a bit of an idealist, and you know, I certainly <laughs> wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone. But let me ask you, what, what do you think is going on? Because I, I, I'm the last person to think along the lines of these conspiracy lunatics. You know, we have uh, surveillance on the general population, you know, the abuse of the IRS misinformation regarding the tragedy at Benghazi, and then these uh, the numbers and the duration of phone calls um, that AP reporters were, be- were making being monitored. I mean, we, we're just seeing this clear case of overreach. And I was wondering if you could comment on why does that seem to be uh, showing up now? Well, it's because it's uh, the culmination of it. And it, it's happening you know all too often and it's happening uh you know at a more frequent pace uh and it's just growing and it's sort of it, and it's the growth of the government it is the big government growth and it is uh just increasing exponentially and it's going to get worse and worse and worse until we have some terrific strong leadership that comes out against it and starts not only changing the way the government works, but speaking to the American people about why it's in their best interest that we don't have a government that is big enough and capable uh, of doing these sorts of tactics, harassing the American people just because you know they want to run for office or because they have a certain view- viewpoint, whatever it might be. Uh, and this should go for whether it's a conservative government or a liberal government. It, it's, it's wrong, but we need leadership that can stand up uh, and explain to the American people what the risks and the dangers are uh, of of this sort of a government. You know, there are lots of great books you could read uh, about this and, and, and get uh, informed on it. And people ought to start thinking about, well, you know, this is really a sign that things are getting out of control. Now, I, I hear from listeners. Yeah, you know, I I listen to I, I get emails and phone calls from listeners every day, and they're just sick of the politics and the partisan gridlock uh, that they see in our nation's capital. And and you know, a lot of them say we've got to vote out all the incumbents and get new folks into office. You know, but you went there as an outsider, and so you're the perfect person to ask because you didn't come from the Beltway. You went as an outsider there to get something done, and and you were able to get a lot done as an outsider. So. My my question to you is, is our problems, are they so systemic that no matter who you send in, in there, they eventually have to assimilate to get something done, and that over that process, they, they lose their efficacy? Great question. Uh, feels like we could write a book. <laughs> Good. Let's get together that. and write that book, because I, I think that's the real question, because if you plug somebody into a systemic problem, eventually they just get worn down. They've either got to cooperate with that system uh, or they, they got to get out and they got to work from the outside. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute, because I think that's exactly what you're doing. I, I think you're more powerful on the outside and uh, particularly well, in the role that you're taking right now. Thank you. I, I agree with you. Actually, I found that I can make as big a difference. I'm delightfully, de- delightfully surprised at all that I can do and am doing. Uh, in, in, I'm, yeah, so I appreciate that very much. But, you know, I, I think the trick in Congress or in any agents, any anytime you're working with a group of people, is you have to know when to pick your battles. Uh, and, and how to pick your battles, that some things are worth fighting for, and you have to strategize when you're going to do it. Uh, I, I stood out, as as, you've, as we were talking about earlier, on a, on a number of votes 
But on others, you know, I probably, that weren't as offensive to me or, or wrong to me, you know, I probably was a little bit more of a team player. Because you have to learn how to function within a, a body of 435 people. Uh, and you don't do that by just sticking your, you know, your thumb in everybody's eye uh, during your career. So it's it, there's an art to it, I think. I think that that's a good way to put it. There is an art to it. Uh, but I do feel that, you know, at, at some point as an outsider, when you go into these systems, you've got to figure out how to get some cooperation to get some things moving forward. And on the other hand, uh, if you're not a team player, boy, you're not going to get anything done. Not in the Congress. In in my 15 years of, you know, my tenure and Sonny's three years before that, so my 18 years uh, intimately involved with the Congress, uh, it was very clear to me that the people who struggled the most were the freshmen who came in thinking that they were going to change the world overnight or that they were going to really attack Congress, really take Congress on, uh, or that they were going to be the president of the United States with you know, very <laughs> ambitious people, too. So there's always that. But uh, you have to come into this body and really learn how to help it function uh, as a team. Uh, be it good or bad, but that is the Congress. It's not the executive branch. You're not a mayor. You're not a governor. You are one of a of a big, you know, dysfunctional family, but a dysfunctional family that needs to make the trains run on time and needs to control the destiny of our country. And, you know, for me, it was by being uh, polite to my colleagues, working with them, uh, pushing back on them when I felt they needed it, uh, but, uh, you know, being respectful so anybody who thinks that they're going to get into the Congress and, and be this, you know, rebellious freshman that's going to change things is going to find out that they're kind of on the bench. Well, I'm glad you said that because I get more phone calls from people saying all we have to do is vote the incumbents out. And I said, well, you know, it's not quite that easy. And uh, and you make that point uh, very well. We have to take our last break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Miss Bono about some of the work she's doing now, which I know you're going to want to hear. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. Now, everyone knows that my favorite is your Pinot Noir, but Caraccioli's known for a lot more than that. It's really the bubbles that kind of differentiates what we're doing in the area as opposed to a lot of our peers. And the way that we looked at it was there's great Chardonnay and Pinot Noir fruit in the Santa Lucia Highlands in the greater Monterey County. And we wanted to be able to utilize those grapes and showcase them in a little bit different light. And to do that comes a little bit of a laborious process in terms of making sparkling wine and doing A little it. bit? A lot of bit, <laughs> but still definitely worth the trouble and worth the wait. Um, we're currently selling 2006 and 2007 sparkling wines in the beginning of 2013. So it kind of tells you the time invested as well as all of the different techniques that we use and Michelle implements to ensure that we're delivering a quality product. Thank you for being with us again, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. What does your website do for you? Does it simplify doing business and automate routine tasks? Does it connect with your target audience and bring new business? 
If you can't answer yes, then you need to contact Sunstar Media. Located on the Monterey Peninsula for over 17 years, Sunstar Media has developed websites for startups, brick-and-mortar stores, to corporations on the stock market. What makes Sunstar different is the customization that goes into every site, tailored to each client's unique needs and vision. Sunstar's experienced pros keep you ahead of the game with their custom-fit development process for website applications that cater to your company's specific needs. Learn more at sunstarmedia.com. Mention you heard this ad on the Rebecca Costa Show and get a free web analysis report on your current site or a free web consultation for your next project. Let's discuss how Sunstar can help you. Reach out to us at sunstarmedia.com. Welcome to Automated Computer Services, America's most drawn-out tech support line. One moment, please. For our hours of op- Thank you for your application. Unfortunately, there are no openings at this time. Your username and password has been set up. Your payment of $23.69 has- Congratulations, your mother is now scheduled to be in attendance at our next se- Hi, welcome to Automated- Goodbye. Tired of unfriendly computer support, slow computer, viruses, spyware? No problem. Call the friendly computer experts at User-Friendly Computing. We take care of all your PC, Macintosh, and laptop needs. Mention KSCO and get a free $50 diagnostic. Visit us today at 505 River Street on the way to downtown Santa Cruz, across from Gateway Plaza. We give you a choice. Drop your computer by the shop, or we'll come to you. Call us today at 423-9653. User-Friendly Computing. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home, not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply. Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. Tune in to the Sentinel Radio Program Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Brought to you by First Church of Christ Scientist Monterey. Come into our Christian Science Community Reading Room and Bookstore and find comfort from the challenges you're facing. We have the resources that will connect you with your God-given substance. Find help now. Our address is 780 Abrego Street in Monterey. Reach out for this help today. Come in and visit or call 831-372-5076. 372-5076. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Congresswoman Miss Mary Bono. Now, I know uh, one of the areas that you have been focused on is uh, intellectual property rights, and so I wanted to ask you about your work in this area. Well, thank you. It's um, something that has been important to me and, and near and dear to my heart. I'm a believer in protecting uh, the works of creative individuals. I think that it is something that has uh, driven the American economy. Uh, it, you know, our founding fathers recognized the importance of intellectual property, and right now there's really a battle uh, all too often, and people's creative work is being given away or stolen. Uh, you know, the Chinese are doing it, the Russians are doing it, uh, and then you know, here and there, it's just happening in, in everyday life anyway. But I think it's very important that we continue to support uh, the people who create, uh, support the arts, support people who invent things. 
uh, and I have been very vocal on that and busy on that, you know, for my 15 years, and Sonny was busy with it, too, during his three-year tenure, so still very focused on it. Um, in a global economy, can can we really protect intellectual property, or is that a myth? Uh, because who's in charge of global enforcement? I mean, how's it going to work? Well, it, it depends. And it's very important that we continue to make sure our, the U.S. trade rep puts pressure uh, that all of our governmental bodies, whoever they might be in dialogues with other countries, uh, recognize the importance of protecting intellectual property. You know, I, of course, we're never going to be able to, you know, completely uh, fix the problem. But when you recognize that uh, organized crime is making money off of this, uh, and, and, you know, bad actors are making money off of this, I think people would be a little bit slower to, you know, to to, uh, to partake in, in piracy. Look, somebody's making money uh, off of this. Well, that's it's right, but there has to be this. some enforcement body, doesn't there? Doesn't there have to be some penalty for doing this? Let's let's just take China as an example. Uh, my, my brother's a small entrepreneur, and this happens to be something that's first and foremost on my mind right now. Uh, he develops a safety equipment for four-wheel drive vehicles, and um, his company's only a couple years old, but he couldn't have been more than two years out the chute he filed for patents, uh, spent an enormous amount of money, mortgaged his house to get patent protection. And boy, it couldn't have been more than 12, 24 months before there were Chinese knockoffs on the Internet. Right. And uh, and that's the point. Is and, You know, this is American jobs that are being shifted overseas. Uh, and the government, there are agents, there's the World Intellectual Property Organization, we call it WIPO. You know, the U.S. Trade Rep is very involved. Uh, the trade treaties now that we negotiate talk about intellectual property. But, you know, this is sort of very late in coming. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, so much damage has been done that what, you know, many people just believe this is a sort of a part of the process now. Uh, or they, they expect, you know, content to be free and easy and cheap. And uh, it, it's very unfortunate because even in, with policymakers in Washington, D.C., when they think about the people who are making, let's just say, a movie, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes policymakers think, OK, that must be Tom Cruise or, you know, Julia Roberts. And they're just these highly successful, uber rich people. And who cares about protecting them? But you, if you grow up in California, especially Southern California, when you recognize that you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs, you're talking about caterers and grips and seamstresses, uh, all of the people who work so hard on on these projects, and those are the people who are hurting the most uh, as as we kind of restrict uh, you know restrict the flow of income and and hurt the studios and hurt movie production. And the same is true of a song. It's it's not necessarily you know Lady Gaga who's hurting, but it's sound engineers, it's session players, it's you know it's a whole host of folks downstream. Who uh, who count on this revenue stream and, and count on being paid for their hard work? Uh, and sometimes it's not it's not the seamstress like you're saying, you know, sitting there on a, on a lot in Burbank. Sometimes uh, the people are making money off of this, or in some dark factory, or some basement in China or in, in Russia. And it's very unfortunate. I think we need to talk more about the the people who truly make the movies, who really are involved in the industry, and and show support for them. One of our greatest assets in this country is innovation. It always has been, and I believe it always will be. Uh, But we don't treat innovation as an asset. 
And and so therefore we, you know, our protections and the way that we uh, handle copyrights, uh, the duration of copyrights, the enforcement, the um, punitive measures that we're willing to take uh, in the event that those copyrights or in patents are uh, infringed on. We seem timid. Well, again, I think this is a great Another, it's another education uh, effort that has to happen uh, with the American people. And, hey, I lived through this, the great incubator or laboratory of ideas called the American home. <laughs> my children, <laughs> when, they were, when they were teenagers, uh, my daughter hopped in the car and she told me how she had, you know, had downloaded illegal a, a song. Uh, uh. It, it was Uncle Crack. It was a song. You know, give me the. I don't want to sing it because your listeners will hang up immediately. Get off the <laughs> anymore. But, you know, she she downloaded a song illegally that she thought was a great song, and I just turned to her and I asked her, "Why did you have to download it illegally? You know, you could have paid ninety nine cents for that song, and that's less than a can of soda. Um, and if you would have supported that artist for less than one, you know, a can of soda." You'd have been help, helping all of these people with with the jobs and the hard work they've put into this, and the years of studying music, the years of learning to perform music. I mean, all of the artists who struggle and you know finally make it. Uh, you'd be supporting this this industry, and instead you're supporting you know Lord knows who, Lord knows where. And my daughter looked at me and she said, "I'd never thought about that, Mom. For less than a, less than the price of a can of Coke, uh, I could have supported this artist." And it kind of put it in perspective for my young teenager. Now, she said that great lecture to her changed her, her, her behavior, <laughs> um, that she didn't download illegally anymore, but I'll have to, I'll have to follow up with her and, and see if she's, uh, I'm, sure she, I'm, sure she, I'm sure she got the message, and she's, she's been good now. <laughs> no illegal downloads. Well, I, I will say that, uh, you know, as an evolutionary biologist, uh, we have a love affair with anything free. All you have to do is watch people walk around a convention center at a trade show and they're taking their bags and filling them with plastic keychains and, you know, brochures and all kinds of things that they leave in their hotel rooms. I mean, we, we, we're we just attracted to anything free. And, and sometimes we just have to engage our brains and say, that's not free. <laughs> that's right. stolen. And right. there's a difference between free and stolen, and I'm not so sure that we make that distinction, but it sounds like your daughter did. Well, she did, and again, it's important to remember that the the legitimate creators of this product, when they're not being paid, somebody else is. Uh, and it's generally not a, a good person who's making the money. Um, and, and they're doing, if they're giving away content, if they're giving away songs or music, I mean, excuse me, songs or movies, they're doing it because they're getting something else in return. It could be your data. Uh, early on, that's what it was all about. Kids would download movies, uh, and then you, they, you know, the, the, the company that was doing, giving away the content was installing cookies and tracking software uh, right along with the content. So uh, they just need to recognize that. And, and again, less than, a can of, uh, less than a can of soda, I think, was a good lesson uh, in thinking about supporting uh, all of the American jobs that, that uh, you're supporting when you download legalese. But uh, you know, that's what I've been doing with intellectual property, and I, I know that our time is drawing near, and I just wanted to yes. close with one thing that I do work on uh, also that's very important to me, and that is uh, the, pres- the uh, prevention of prescription drug abuse and this epidemic in America now that we're, more people are dying from prescription drug overdose deaths than are dying from uh, all illicit drugs combined. And uh, so that's something I'm still very involved in, and it's very rewarding uh, to be fighting this fight with other people 
And uh, so working with a number of foundations and, and groups, one is the Stacy Mathewson Foundation, uh, which is actually trying to build sober high schools and sober dorms for kids so that when they go off to college, if they're either in recovery or they just choose to be in sort of an alcohol-free zone where they live, you know, they ought to have that opportunity. So there are folks out there trying really hard to build these sober schools, and I'm doing my best to help them do that. Well, you are absolutely right. We are out of time, and I'm kicking myself because we have to have you come back and talk about the prescription drug issue because it's a big pet peeve of mine on uh, how many of these drugs we're giving. The fastest-growing population we're giving these drugs to happens to be preschoolers right now, and I find that very offensive. So love to have you come back and talk about that. That is all the time we have left today, but before we say goodbye, I do want to take a moment to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you, Ms. Bono. Thank you very much. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you'd like to comment on today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, We're pretty much everywhere on the net these days and easy to find. My guest next week is going to surprise you with what she has to say. She is one of only two individual staffers asked to work in the West Wing for the Bush and Clinton White House. And she has a lot to say about how the government came very close to paving a safe path for whistleblowers. Miss Linda Tripp. A woman who knows all about the price whistleblowers pay will be with us next week right here on the Costa Report. Now stay tuned for the second hour of the Costa Report when we hear what you have on your mind this week. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations, that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. They call me Mr. Mom, and I'm here to talk with you Fridays, 7 p.m., about the big challenges of raising families in modern times. Hi, I'm David Marine. New rule. Do not own a dog stronger than your weakest child. Enough of kids being maimed or dying from dog attacks. Our ERs see 1,000 people a day with dog bites. From 2004 to 2012, 251 people died from dog attacks. Pit bulls, 60%. Denver and Miami banned them. Does your dog worry you? What's the best dog for your family? Join me and my guest, Victoria Stilwell, actress, author, and dog trainer, best known as host of It's Me or the Dog, on Friday at 7 p.m. on KSCO. This is
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.